Hello, this is episode three. That's what she said. That is not a joke, though if you've watched The Office, you know what I'm talking about. That's what she said is actually going to be a topic uh, for the interview portion of this episode, so I hope you stick around. Um, It's a fun conversation. But uh, what am I talking about? Episode three of this podcast is all about feminist theater. And uh, the academic journal article that I read that I really enjoyed, it gave me a lot of information and kind of sent me hunting for other information as well, which you can see in my blog. You can read about it there. um, And I'll talk about it about it here as well. But it's an article by Shauna Dempsey. And it's The title of the article is Staging Feminist Theater, and it's for Horizons. She wrote this in 2015, so fairly recent. And so the data that I got from it is pretty up-to-date, as well as I kind of went hunting for some information from Actors' Equity Association, which is the um, union for stage actors and stage managers. Uh, But anyways, so it's, it's a pretty contemporary present um, issue that's written about, Dempsey writes about, and so I found the information quite applicable to what I want to talk about here. Uh, So feminist theater, it's interesting. Um, First of all, we all know what feminism is. It's the fight for equality, gender equality, um, opportunities for women uh, in theater. Pretty uh, straightforward, right? This, the cultural capital of that would be, well, there, <laughs> there's one uh, segment of our population that has not been um, equally represented um, based on gender. And as things are changing in our society, I do recognize that there is some fluidity and some changing um, definitions of, of what people consider themselves. But um, in terms of male-female, that binary choice, men have been dominant in theater. And then women have been, were fighting for equality in that space of theater and in the entertainment industry in general. And then if you go expand further beyond that, um, it is obviously there, there are obstacles and hurdles and, and things more difficult for those that are non-binary, um, fluid, who are transgender and, and, so on and so forth, which we talk about in my interview with Heather Enriquez, who is uh, a theater coordinator at Chapman University in Orange, California. She is also uh, the producer and really just the one who spearheaded this new project. It's not that new. It's in year three, but it just really has blossomed and grown in such a way that it almost seems new in that Heather has to keep changing um, to meet the demands. So she talks about that in the interview. But um, the project that she's working on, it's called That's What She Said. And it's a group, uh, it's for female writers at the moment. In the interview, she talks about expanding that. But it's about getting the female voice on stage. So um, it's about getting submissions from female playwrights and then producing their works and then going from there um, and letting the, the life of that play create other opportunities. Uh, in Dempsey's article, Staging Feminist Theater, there is, it kind of goes into the history of feminism uh, in theater. And Dempsey's article is all about Canadian theater. 
And uh, one, the Canadian stats and the American stats are about the same. But I use this article because, <laughs> quite frankly, um, we don't have any kind of study that was commissioned um, by, if not the government, then at least by, um, well, I mean, the the humanities and the National Endowment for the Humanities, National Endowment for the Arts, that is the government. But just in terms of there was no, there's never been some sort of movement on the congressional scale, let's say, that to form some sort of committee to find out about equity in the arts. Um, and what was different is in Canada, um, there were two Canadian funded studies on women in theater, both in leadership and in artistic positions. Um, so it's not just about what art are you creating, but who's running the show behind the scenes. And uh, the numbers are anemic. That's kind of the uh, the gist of it. We'll get into it a bit. Uh, first of all, the first study uh, that was commissioned by the Canadian government uh, looked at theater, professional theater in the late 1970s and into the early 1980s. Uh, the positions, uh, women, positions for women in leadership and artistic positions. So, for example, it would be like the theater manager, the artistic director. That would be a leadership position versus those who are directing a play, actors, costume designer. That would be in an arts position. So uh, the numbers from the first study that was done. Um it was about 10 to 13% in all of those categories. So artistic director, um, theater manager, uh, actors, uh, stage managers, makeup designers, costume designers, um, lighting designers, uh, those who are working in audio, um, anything that has to do with administrative work or something to put on a production, the numbers were ranging from in the 10 to 13% range. In the 1990s, uh, there was another look at hiring and uh, what the stats were. And in the 1990s, those figures doubled. But, but, uh, one, yes, that's great, the numbers doubled. But if the numbers were, say, 10%, now we're at 20% in the 1990s. So in about a decade or a decade and a half, um, women still are not at that 50-50 match with men. Uh, so a, an example would be just to kind of pull out from all the various jobs you can have in theater. Uh, but because Heather uh, is my interview subject and she is asking for submissions from female playwrights for her group, uh, that's what she said, looking at this study, uh, female playwrights. So Dempsey points out that 10% of hires in the 1970s and 80s were female playwrights, 10%. And then that figure in the 1990s was 27%. So it did more than double, but it's not even comparable to what the hires are for men. So uh, there is a problem. There is a challenge. And it's more challenging because as we see, things are changing, how people define themselves, um, how they view themselves through the lens of gender and how they want to be referred to, um, how they feel that they fit on that spectrum. 
how they define themselves and want to be viewed and addressed. Um, well, in terms of men and women, we're not even at 50%. And now there's more nuance to what people consider themselves. So uh, the, the world is changing quickly and the hiring practices were not reflecting um, what society was 30, 40 years ago. So there's my point on that. Um, so like I said, I looked through Actors Equity Association stats, um, and they came out with a press release. They did a study. So this was the union did a study. And from 2013 to 2015, they looked at anonymous data of union member contracts in two contract categories. So Broadway and production tours contracts and off-Broadway contracts. So off-Broadway would be in New York, not Broadway, um, it, a show that might make its way to Broadway, but um, the actors there are paid and there's a professional contract. Um, Broadway, we all know what that is. And the production tours would be, you know, if you live in an area where there's a big city, like if you live in a suburb of LA and Hamilton's in town, that would be the production contract that uh, the performers who are performing there, they're under that kind of contract. So this study, looking at those two types of contracts, the results uh, that were yielded from that two-year study uh, was released in a spring 2017 issue of the union's newsletter. And there were some interesting charts and graphs and then a little summary. Um, equity membership, here's the baseline. Here's how to judge this. Equity membership is basically equal between men and women. So almost 50-50 men and women. So in that way, you go, okay, well, kind of even playing field to start with. But, here I go again, but nearly 60% of contracts were offered to men. So first we look at, okay, how do you get into the union? You get into the union by getting hired. Um, you know, you audition for a show. It's a union show. You have to join the union. Or... If you are um, stage managing or you're directing or your costumes are in some form or capacity, you're involved in professional theater. So uh, there's the actors and stage managers contracts and then the makeup artists and costume designers and all that. They have a little subset of a contract or union representation that's not exactly the same as performers and stage managers. But anyway, so, you know, Hamilton shows up in your town there's a contract. They're in the union. So if the union memberships, because, you know, the show's over, but you're still in the union, you pay dues every year. Um, that's what's kind of hard because if you, if you're not involved in a show at the time, you still pay your dues to remain up to date. So you're in the union, you are a member in good standing. So it's about 50, 50 men and women, but 60% of new hires, uh, contracts are offered to men, which is not 50-50. Now, there's one area of theater where women actually surpass men in receiving contracts, and that's in stage managing. So stage management, that would be the position who's like wearing the headset, dressed in all black, runs backstage and goes, you know, five minutes to places. Or, you know, they're the one that <laughs> if an actor breaks their leg, Who's going on stage if there's no understudy? Um, stage manager takes care of the production, the actors, what's happening day of, sort of like the game day person in charge. Uh, 
Uh, so women in that field of stage management receive more contracts by men uh, than men, excuse me, more contracts than men. But here we go again. But their pay is lower than the average contractual salaries of men. Something to ponder. Why is that? Is there a good reason for that? Is it about locality pay? What, what is that about? What a stage manager in Chicago and a stage manager in Los Angeles, one's a man, one's, one's in Chicago is a man, the one's in, in Los Angeles is a woman. Should there be a disparity in pay and why? Especially since women dominate in that field in receiving equity contracts. Something to ponder. So there is a need to build new cultural capital when it comes to gender equality and then to maintain it and then to provide uh, an opportunity for those that are that are in it, that are working it, um, how it enhance, it enhances them and what they can give to the community. And then that's kind of where we're at now. What does that mean? And that is where we are with the next portion of this podcast, the interview portion. I interview Heather Enriquez and we talk about that. We get into that. We talk about the conversation. We talk about how to build cultural capital with this program, how to maintain it and how to expand. Like I said, we're in a changing world. How do we expand beyond women, the female experience as we know it and go into other voices, diverse voices? And how do we reach those playwrights so we can commission those works and produce those works? How do we do that as a theater community, those who make artistic decisions, those who make administrative decisions? And Heather goes into that and and really talks about how this program, which has just blossomed and grown so fast, she needs help with it, but also she recognizes as well as it's doing with its popularity, there are ways that it can improve. And so with that said, please enjoy my interview with Heather Enriquez. So I'm with Heather Enriquez. So Heather, I like to ask people that I interview in your own words, can you uh, tell us what your title is and what that means for people who aren't familiar with theater? Uh, So my day job title is um, patron services coordinator for the College of Performing Arts at Chapman University. Um, And so uh, what that means is anything that has to do with the audience is is what I'm touching um, for the College of Performing Arts. And um, so that's not just for for theater. Um, I'm actually um, interacting with our audience for our dance department and for our um, our music department, and um, and that's that's nice because all of those departments really interact, and they're all part of performing arts. What is your background? How did you get involved in theater? What kinds of groups did you belong to, and what roles did you serve as? Right. So, um, so I started in theater as as a super young child. Um, I was raised in a. Uh, uh, <laughs> a religious background that used theater as a tool. Uh, And so I was performing from the time that I could stand on a stage and speak. And I was memorizing lines before I could read them. Uh, And so I always uh, 
had a passion for that. And while I didn't necessarily continue my passion for religion, I did continue that passion for performing and for the performing arts. And as I got older and started a family and I maybe didn't have that time to, um, to memorize lines or to rehearse, I did still have a passion for theater. And so I found um, positions behind the scenes. And so I would stage manage, I would design sets, I would sew costumes. And so that took me through um, a a lot of different positions. So I I started a theater company called Breath of Fire um, when I was in a place in my life where I was still interested in performing and was not finding uh, roles that were for me or the roles that were for me were not the ones that I wanted to do. Um, They were very typecast. Uh, Latinas were very much um, the maid or uh, the streetwalker. And I was tired of doing that. So a partner and I started a theater company to write our own work or to find other people who were writing work that uh, were reflective of our experience. And from there, I started working uh, with Rude Gorilla, um, who was, uh, it was a theater company that was doing um, LGBTQ work. um, And as a a bi woman, that was really attractive to me, um, being able to to do work uh, that was uh, speaking to the queer community. Um, But a lot of the work that we were doing, almost exclusively the work that we were doing, was speaking um, to gay men about the gay man experience and um, wasn't necessarily about what I was experiencing. And that took me on a long road to um, to starting a, a writing group with a girlfriend of mine uh, who I had worked with at, um, at Stages Theater in Fullerton that at the time was uh, the longest running uh, storefront theater in all of Orange County. Um, and, uh, we had just talked about some of our frustration and things that we, we were writing, but we didn't really have that accountability. And so we started a writer's group, uh, with women and out of that workshopping of, of women's plays, things just started happening. We were actually producing things out of that and out of that workshopping came this, this theater, uh, this, uh, women's playwright theater festival over at the Curtis Theater, which was uh, where my day job was at the time. And um, and so now we're in our, our third year, thanks to COVID, we're not in our fourth, but we're in our third year of, um, of producing this playwrights festival um, that's uh, completely for, uh, for celebrating the female voice. Uh, so far, we've only produced plays that have been actually written by women. And um, and those plays, as as you were speaking to, uh, have actually almost all of them have actually seen full productions and not just workshops, not just stage readings. uh, uh, And that is that has been our goal from the get go is to actually see these plays be produced, because our, our frustration from the get go was that almost all the plays that we see are written by men. Almost all the plays that we see are directed by men. Almost all the plays that we see, the uh, the juicy roles, the great roles are for men. And it shouldn't be that way. We're the audience. We're at least half the audience. And um, having worked in marketing for theater, having worked in patron services for theater, I know that we are more than half the audience. Right. But but we're not producing works uh, for us. And, uh, and every time we do, and, and you've seen this, uh, we'll 
we've worked together at the Curtis where we did a nine to five, right? Great musical, a lot of fun and sold out seats like so fast it, because it's so fun. And it, it was like a girl's night out for these women who were our, our base audience. And why aren't we doing more stuff like that? And why aren't we as, as writers writing more stuff like that? And why aren't we as producers producing more stuff like that? So that was, uh, so doing page to stage was my own way of, of, you know, like putting my money where my mouth is instead of just sitting around and complaining about, well, why, why is it always just a bunch of men writing a bunch of stuff for guys? And it, you know, um, I, just getting out there and going, you know what, I'm going to go out there and write something and I'm going to produce something and I'm going to direct something that I can act in. Uh, and so it's been a lot of work, like a ton of work. And as it grows, I need more and more help. And thankfully, more and more women have, have come in and answered my call for help. Uh, but we've done some incredible shows, some shows that have been so moving and so amazing and have gone on to win awards, have gone on to be published, have gone on to full runs. And it's fantastic and amazing because these are great shows. And these are the shows that I want to see. And these are the shows that I want to perform in. So it's, it's been really cool. And I think it's a really great arc that this story has had, uh, this journey that you've had, because first of all, it's you had to do this on your own. And really what we're looking at is everything that you've just described in this journey that you've taken, it's stuff that you really can't fit on an Excel sheet. You know, when, when people who are in charge of budget budgets who go, okay, what's, what's the decision we make for the season or, or how do we allocate um, stage space, time, money, um, advertising, all of this, there's so much that you can't fit on an Excel sheet. And I think, first of all, the conversations that women have had that you described is just like our case study that we're referencing of a study that happened in Canada. So like during the second feminist wave of the seventies and eighties, where women were looking at the numbers. And like you said, at least half, if not more are female. And when the numbers were, you know, 10, 12% in terms of artistic directors, in terms of directors, producers, and now, you know, almost 40 years later, these numbers are at the quarter mark, like 20, 22%, 25%, 30%, but we're nowhere near a 50-50. Hold on, I, I pulled it up because I knew I was gonna talk to you today. Uh, Early Birds by Dana Schwartz, um, uh, we did in, in 2021, and it went on to a full run at Atwater Village Theater in Los Angeles and, um, and was a critical success. Um, we did in 2021 a dry rosé by Missy Koontz that um, went on um, to uh, the indie fringe in Indianapolis. So these, so we're we're doing things that are actually just going out into completely different states, which is awesome. Um, we did uh, the calorie counters by Molly Wagner, which um, was produced both in North Hollywood and in um, Chicago. Cool. And Molly's from New York, um, so really cool stuff has happened from here. So when Heather says something like it made it to Chicago or made it to Indiana, we're talking about regional theater, Chicago, which is uh, in a lot of ways, you get away from the glare of Broadway in New York and Chicago really turns out theater professionals. And then when something is at Atwater Village, Hollywood, anything in the LA area, we're talking about 
the audience would be casting directors, literary agents, agents. Um, it's a whole different level of in terms of audience that's being pulled in. So it, it's very much a big deal in the life of the show and in the trajectory of the people associated with the show, where some of the places that these pieces are going and being seen, for sure. And these women who have written these shows have gone on to uh, to write other shows, to be published, to, to uh, receive awards, um, uh, uh, the let's see, Bureau Crazy by uh, Kate Danley um, has now um, been renamed as um, as working for Crumbs and has received um, two awards. And like, it's just amazing to me that uh, what started as me just really, really desperate to in Orange County see something written by a woman see something with women on the stage, see something that I could personally direct and connect to, um, has grown out. And I, I, I have to tell you, I, I didn't, I, I, I was not brave enough to be that, um, ambitious with it, honestly, because, uh, looking at the, looking at the statistics and seeing how few plays by women were produced, across the country, it was terrifying to be that, that ambitious with it, to think, you know, even beyond the, the Orange County borders out to LA was just like, I don't know. I mean, maybe we'll get something produced in Long Beach. I don't know. I I don't want to be too hopeful, but to actually get things produced in LA, to actually get things produced beyond this state, uh, where I was, I was, you know, we were all locked up during, um, during COVID and I'm, I'm seeing these plays that we had done the first year in 2019, you know, get these, these zoom, uh, productions, all of them. And it was amazing to me. Um, and, and it wasn't just these few and, and, uh, that was fantastic that four of the five that we did the first year, uh, we, we got local orange County full productions, but then to just go beyond that has been amazing to me and fantastic. And these are wonderful, wonderful shows. And that's been one of my things too, because there's been a temptation and, and I've, I've had so many submissions. I mean, we, I, I stopped week one this year. I stopped counting after we got a hundred submissions. There's a lot, there's a lot of women out there writing. And I want to see that. And I want to see those uniquely female experiences uh, because we assume all the time when we're going to see shows that that these interactions between men are just the human experience. Right. This yeah. is just this just applies to all of humanity, but it doesn't necessarily. Right. right. Uh, th- what what happens in true West isn't just the universal experience for all all humans right. we as women have uniquely female experiences and i want to see those we did a we did a reading of a show called hairpiece this last year and it was such a uniquely female experience it was about a group of women who had been friends since they were children and one of them's going through breast cancer and it has lost her hair and about her relationship with her own hair. And it's a uniquely black woman experience too, because it's a group of black women who throughout the play, their, their mothers and themselves are talking about their own relationship to their hairstyle 
and through this experience of their friend going through treatment for breast cancer and losing her hair. And it was so uniquely human, but woman. Right. And that's what I want to see. And it was so entertaining and so poignant and funny. Right. And also heartbreaking. I had audience members coming up to me, male audience members coming up to me after the, the reading in tears, thanking me, people who weren't theater people, but who were humans who were thanking me because they had never seen anything like that before. That's why we do theater in the first place. And to believe that only, only the male experience is universal is ridiculous. Right. And definitely. And that's, and that's basically summing it up of, uh, and what you've done in, in your work and what we've discussed is cultural capital is, is going beyond what the facts and figures are and these experiences that you can't just, you know, fit on one tiny little cell of an Excel sheet. And so um, I have four questions because this is a rubric that, um, that the theory is putting forth. Uh, This is, let's try judging it based on these statements. And you've kind of gone into it, but we'll, we'll kind of give it a nice framework of, of addressing it. I think, cause it's really great um, just to kind of give something, some structure um, as to wrap it up. Maintaining diverse cultural capital. So, so, and I think you spoke to that, but if you can, in how this has grown, um, and I think you just answered it right now, but uh, is, you said, um, you know, people that are not just women, but men who are outside the, the race or socioeconomics of, of whatever they're watching. Um, and it's, and it's that diversity that you're trying to reach all audiences, that it doesn't have to be just for one specific group of people. So can you talk about, you know, efforts of where you're at in maintaining that and keeping that going? Uh, I am actively seeking to, to, to court, not only, not only do I want these uniquely female experiences, but I I want these diversely unique female experiences. So I, I want, so last year I, 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 I really went out of my way when, when we're, when we were reading to make sure that, because the first year, the first year I, 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 I partnered with another group mm-hmm. of um, of folks when we when we chose the the plays, and they went through, and every single play that they chose had been written by a middle aged white woman, mm-hmm. and they came to me with their choices, and they knew that they had chosen wrong. Um, they absolutely did. They they straight up said, "Listen, we understand." Um, that we have made these choices and I, and we want to tell you that we know who these playwrights are. And we think that maybe we, we haven't, we we've erred on the uh, side of lack of diversity and we want you to review our choices and maybe make some new ones. And so I did. And so I did not partner with them the second year um, because I I didn't think that they had really had their eye on what my goal was. And it was women, not, not just this one woman, my, my, my vision was not this, you know, second wave feminist, this, this affluent white woman was not the voice that I wanted. I wanted all of our voices to be reflected. Um, and so, uh, and so in this, in this second round, I made sure that, um, I, I looked for different voices. I, I wanted to hear black women. 
Um, and um, and I, we had a, a wonderful play that I got to choose and it was fantastic. And um, we, we had a play that was um, about women dealing with weight issues. And so, yay, different sizes. And then a play about elderly women and their relationship with sex. And when do you ever hear elderly women talk about sex? Never. It was fantastic. Um, and so I, going forward into this year, that's what I want more of. I would love to read um, something by a trans woman that fits the criteria. I don't know if I'll find it, um, but maybe um, I, I want... I was just going to say, how are you going to build new cultural capital? And you've just answered it. So that that is the plan is is moving beyond like you already had moving beyond white women or women who are well to do who know about this opportunity because it's easy access. And then you went to we went diverse women. And now and if you can speak to um, yeah, transgender women, non-binary of that, do you foresee that you're going to have to pivot on how to reach those, those writers or, or are you, do you have an idea yet? Or you just, you know, that's what you want to do. You just haven't figured out a way yet. Yeah. And, um, and as I admitted already doing this by myself has, has, already proven really difficult. So I'm reaching out to, um, to as many women as I know, I make connections a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I go to shows and immediately go, Hey, are you on Facebook? You want to be my friend, which already is kind of limiting me because, um, because there's only a certain age group that's on Facebook and it's old. Um, and, uh, and so I'm trying to learn to make more connections, uh, through, uh, through, Instagram, which at least has got some younger folks. Um, I, I don't know how good I am on other social media platforms, but I'm trying to just, uh, to just get people's emails and, um, phone numbers and, and reach them where they're at, because I, I want to be able to, to, to get and and working at Chapman is kind of one of those um those ways to to get in touch with younger folks but again that's that's a pretty affluent group there at Chapman I mean there are some that are on scholarship but not a whole lot so those those are affluent kids um I have made a lot of friends with um with uh professors at community college level and so I keep hitting them up uh, to put me in touch with their students because um, their students are the ones that I really want involved in this um, going forward. I want to, I want plays uh, that are about women who um, have, you know, like mobility issues, like, and, and what's that about? And, and, and I want, I want to see that. Um, and, and yeah, non-binary women, I, I've, I've spoken, um, or non-binary folks, um, I've, I've spoken to a couple and actually changed the form this year to make sure that it was more inclusive because the experience of someone who, um, was, you know, gendered female at birth is valid for page to stage, uh, Anybody who has walked around and been labeled female in whatever way, shape, or form, and that includes trans men, um, I want to hear your story and I want to see it on stage because that is something that I haven't seen either. And that's engaging to me. Uh, I want 
I want the story of Asian women um, and anything I can do to get out there. And I, so I've, I've joined groups on Facebook for, um, for uh, BIPOC writers, um, for marginal uh, groups, uh, the writers of marginalized groups. Um, and I've gotten the word out to um, any group that I, that will take me as a member, I, I, I join and I, I share. And then of course we've, um, uh, we made the choice the very first year to not um, make it uh, like a financially prohibitive to anyone. There's no um, there's no fee to to submit. Right. Excellent. And that and and, and we're lucky to be able to do that. Uh, partnering with the Curtis has made that possible. Right. And I was going to say that. And you answered the outlets of expression. So we're talking about political and social, you know, and, and so um, which you answered my third question. And I would add just sort of as hearing what you're saying, you're going out there and and you are trying to make these connections, whether it's through social social media, phone, email. Um, and even though Chapman, it's it's a bit limiting in their population, but it really does give you the visibility. So when you do approach someone, they know who you are and what you're about. And that helps, too, right. in that you have that that those credentials um, uh, behind you. My last question I have for you, um, valorization by artists, agents and audiences, which we've talked about. But if you could just if someone, um, you know, moving on from the Curtis, we see these pieces going to other places, other cities, other city demographics, other, you know, large cities, small cities, suburbs, um, other college campuses. In what ways has it enhanced, do you think, you, you can pick either, you know, artists, audiences, what would, how would you describe how it has enhanced an experience? You can choose any perspective you'd like. In what way has what, I'm sorry, I, I, I'm not uh, sure I, in what way has what you're doing, how has it, it, how has it enhanced the cultural experience? So whether it like the community, so the community at large, how is it different now that you're doing something like this that isn't just a little side project? Right. Um, I hope for, for the, the females in our community, it's, it's bringing I, I hope it's bringing us a little hope that um, that we're we're going to see ourselves reflected on stage that um, that we're going to uh, be given options for entertainment that are actually appealing to us. I hope that it's it's um, enhancing our artistic community in that um, there's something to look forward to being cast in that isn't as somebody's wife or as somebody's mother. Or if it is as the wife, as as the mother, the the whole show is about the mother and uh, isn't just a, a side piece or a, an afterthought. Um, and as uh, for the community uh, uh, of audiences, they're getting to see something new that they wouldn't have before. Uh, they are not just seeing the same old thing directed by the same old person again right. and again, recycled ad nauseum. And I think they're tired of it too. Right. I know I am. 
well, I don't want to see it anymore. You know, society has changed. People have changed. And, and I, and I think the audience is definitely looking for that change. And, and here's a perfect example of how you are delivering that change and it's growing. And like you said, you need help now because it's become um, something bigger than what it started as. Um, I want to thank you so much for taking this time. I really, really appreciate it. I really wanted this feminist perspective. Everyone in, in this LA greater LA area, knows about this this project has seen it grow and and i'm really happy that we got to talk about it because it really has been such an organic thing to watch happen it was a lot of work but but it's organic in that you didn't have to force it it was you looked people came and then it just exploded in this natural way um, to where you're now going i need help and i think that's pretty amazing i think it's worth taking the time to do it's it. yeah it's it's it shocked me how uh how it just really has taken off on its own. I I didn't have to force it at all. People just submitted so many plays. It is, it's like it was just waiting there for somebody to go, hey, let's do this. Yeah. And um, and wow, women really they've they've been writing these plays all along. Some of the some of the plays that women have submitted, they wrote 15 years ago. Right. They've just been waiting for somebody to produce them. Exactly. There's all it's the, the people are always out there. They just need that opportunity. And you're definitely creating that. Yep. 